Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want the Lord to help us this evening. We're going to pray over his word. I'm going to ask you if you will. We're going to take a text from the book of Luke chapter 15 in just a moment. But let's pray over his word and just ask God to touch us this evening. I'm glad that I'm in the house of the Lord. Amen. And I just want his word to touch us. I've been rewarded already richly for being here tonight just to feel his presence and to be in your company. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I love you today and I thank you for the tremendous privilege that you have given all of us to be here in this house tonight. And so I just ask you, Lord, to let this living word let it touch our hearts again. Let there be a fresh anointing, a fresh touch upon our minds and our heart. And I pray, oh God, that we can understand the value of the principles that you are presenting in this particular passage. I love you and I thank you for the opportunity to be together, to be here in this service. And we pray for your anointing and your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. And so tonight... We're just going to travel through the book of Luke chapter 15. And uh, the 15th chapter of Luke is often noted as a chapter that deals with lost things. There's other things, of course, but primarily it deals with lost things. There are three lost things that are the center of this chapter, and that is the lost sheep in verses 3 through 7, the lost coin in verses 8, 9, and 10, And then the story of the prodigal son, a lost son, in verses 11 through 32. And so tonight, with the help of the Lord, I just want to use that as my subject. I want to talk about lost things. I believe that before we visit this in its entirety, I want to turn our attention to the opening verses of Luke. And uh, just read a couple of things and just make one point, perhaps in passing. The Bible says in Luke 15 and 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the scribes and the the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now, uh, thankfully tonight we're all human, at least for the most part. And often in a human trait, When we first begin reading something, if you're not careful, we can miss the first few lines of something because we're just kind of starting off. It's a new book, a new chapter, and we can miss the emphasis that perhaps is part and parcel of opening lines. And so the Bible says in verse number one, I just want to go back and read this again. Then drew near unto him, which is Jesus, all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man, talking about Jesus, receiveth sinners and eateth with them. I think it's, I think it's significant. And the point that I want to make before 
getting on tonight further in our consideration is the fact that Jesus attracted sinners. They weren't coming to him because of the banners that were flying around town. They weren't coming to him because of social media bursts or blast. But Jesus, Jesus attracted sinners. While at the same time, the Bible talks about the Pharisees and the Sadducees that resisted sinners. Kind of a strange and a paradox, really, if you consider it. I think it's also important to note that, that sinners came to Jesus not because he catered to them or not because he compromised his message. And there's some people think, you know, if you would just change what you're saying or how you're saying it, that people would just come. But, but they were drawn to him, and it wasn't because he was a compromiser, and it wasn't because he was ignoring sin that was in their life. But sinners were drawn to the Lord because they could sense that he cared genuinely for them. Amen. I believe with all of my heart there is such an important principle. If the church of the living God can just love people, can just love people. Amen. He understood their needs. He tried to help them. And I say this because there are very few people that can resist genuine, true love. I've met some nuts harder to crack than others. But there are there's some people that we've all just kind of taken on as a project. You know, said, I'm just gonna love them, I'm gonna wear them out. I'm just gonna wear, I'm just gonna love them, I'm gonna smile, I'm gonna be friendly. Amen. My wife, she she just tickles me sometimes, and and uh, there are times, you know, somebody just seems like they don't want to speak to her. She just takes it on as a project. She said, I'm just gonna win them over and and uh, I'm just gonna keep I'm just gonna smile, I'm just gonna love them, and and she's taught me to be a real Christian through the years, I'll tell you that. Amen. Just going to keep loving. And so we've all had to move in those, in those areas. But what's really sad as a backdrop to all of this is that, of course, many things perhaps. But one of the things that seems to be primarily sad to me is the fact that the scribes and the Pharisees knew the Old Testament law. And they had an extreme bent for personal purity. Really and truly. There was something in their heart. But they had no love for lost people. They had no love for anybody that was outside of their circle. And so there's a, a tremendous principle that we should really, really learn to resist. Amen. I want to ask God to help me to love people. Just help me to love them. I, I'm not talking about compromising any message or condoning sin, but just help me to love and to help the spirit and the power of love to build a bridge into their life. So to confront their criticism... That's what leads us to these three parables. It was the confrontation of what he was faced with. And so Jesus began to share these parables with them because these religious leaders did not yet understand that the Son of Man, Luke 19 and 10, had come to seek and save that which was lost. And so he just couldn't, they couldn't get their mind wrapped around that. Furthermore, they were also still blind to the fact that they themselves were among the lost. And he had come to seek and save them. So this chapter makes it clear that there is one message of salvation. And that is this, that God welcomes repentant sinners. Amen. God is moved by repentance. Not just in the heart of sinners. God is moved by repentance. We die daily. And I believe that God welcomes and forgives and God restores. And I'm thankful for that gift. But these two parables, these parables rather, also reveal that there are Two aspects of this salvation. 
Number one, there is God's part. And so in these parables, we have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. And so in these two, first two parables, we see God's part. We see the shepherd that's, that sought after the lost sheep, and we see the woman that continued to search after the lost coin. But the other aspect of this is a man's part, and the wayward son, or the prodigal son, is what we see that comes into, into focus or into vision here, into vision, because he willingly repented, and he himself returned home. So there is a God part, and there is a man part. God can reach Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you together as a hen doth gather her brood? How often would I have reached? But you see, there's a God part, but there's also a man part because he ultimately said, but you would not. God reached, God provided. He would have and longed to be there, but they would not. To emphasize only one aspect of this, to only say there's a God part or to only say there is a man part is to give a false view of true salvation. Because the Bible clearly teaches and talks about the sovereignty of God, but it also talks about the responsibility of man. Therefore, I believe that both aspects should be considered. And so let's talk about these three lost things. The first thing was the lost sheep. Ultimately, and at the end of the day, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but let's boil it all down and just say this. That the sheep was lost because of foolishness. Amen. Sheep have a tendency to go astray, and that's why they need a shepherd. The shepherd was responsible for each and every sheep. Not just, here's a herd, do the best you can. But he was responsible. The shepherd, if one was missing, the shepherd had to pay for it. And so he had an investment. He had skin in the game. Because unless he could prove, that's why the Bible talks about the shepherd bringing back a leg and a piece of an ear or two legs and a piece of an ear, that was proof that a predator had gotten it. And that was the only way that they could be freed from the responsibility of paying for that sheep. And so when the Bible talks about the shepherd being willing, that's why he was, it explains why. They were willing to leave the flock in the care of other shepherds or those that were working with them and go searching for the missing sheep. And then the Bible says, and rejoiced when he found it. He rejoiced on many levels. The sheep had not lost his life, but he had not lost any money out of his, out of his bank account. And so not finding the lost sheep meant that he was going to have to be accountable. He was going to have to pay for that, plus the added disgrace of being known as a careless shepherd. I mean, I just imagine sitting around the campfire that shepherds talked among themselves like every other vocation of live talks, and people said, you know, it's been... Ten years since I've lost a sheep. And they see an old man walking by and they say, you know, he's been doing that 30 years. And they say, he's never lost one, not one. No, not one. Due to carelessness. And so he had a reputation to protect. And so by leaving the 90 and 9, the good shepherd or the shepherd wasn't saying that, that they weren't important to him. They were safe. He knew where they were. And they had a watchful hand. They had a watchful eye. Amen. The fact that he would go after one was proof that every one of them meant something to him. And so <clears throat> there's a fourfold joy, I think, expressed when, when a sinner comes to the Lord. Plus, uh, plus, excuse me. Amen. Something just odd happened right there. <laughs> and I promise you that it really did happen right there. 
No, nothing is said in the story about how the sheep felt about being found. We do understand that there is a joy in the heart of a person that's found. And so a sheep doesn't have the intellect, of course, as a human being. And so there's no mention of how the sheep may have felt, but I do believe that there are feelings and and those of you who are animal lovers understand that there is some degree of communication and some degree of care. And so while the Bible remains silent about it, and that's not the point of the scripture, I do believe that there was joy on both sides of that equation. Amen. But there is a joy that we know unequivocally on the part of the person that does the finding. Have you ever found something <laughs> that you lost? I mean, I spend so much time trying to find all my time-saving devices. And if it weren't thing, for things like find my phone and, and all kind of gadgets we had to help us find our car keys and every, all the other things that we lose, there's just something refreshing about finding something. I mean, you know it's probably not in the Antarctic, but you know it's lost to you. And so it, uh, it just as well be. It may be just beyond reach or just beyond sight, but there's a joy on the part of the person that does the finding. And then we think about the parable of the lost coin. The lost sheep was lost because of its foolishness, its nature. Its nature needs a guide. Its nature needs someone to nudge. Its nature needs someone to protect. But the coin was lost because of the carelessness of someone else. It's a sobering thought that our carelessness could bring some sort of jeopardy on the life of somebody else. I don't want to be a stumbling block. Oh my goodness, I can promise you that. That's a, that is a consistent prayer. Don't let me stand in the way of someone. Don't let me ever offend or create a wall. <clears throat> when a Jewish girl married, she would wear a headband that would have 10 silver coins to signify that she was now a wife. It was the Jewish version of our perhaps modern wedding ring. Therefore, it was considered a calamity to lose one of these coins. It was very important because it wasn't just ornamentation, it was significant. It, it told a story about her life. And so a palace and house was dark, and that's why they would have to light a lamp. And, and the Bible says she lit a lamp and she searched. She continued to search. You can, when you read this story, you can read the, uh, the, the sincerity of her search. She searched until she found that lost coin. And so it's not hard for us then to imagine the joy of her finding, not just something that was lost, but something significant that was lost. And so these parables help us understand something about what it means to be lost. Amen. There, there are many layers to this, of course. And to begin with, I believe that when something is lost, that it means it's out of place. It's not where it's supposed to be. We're creatures of habit and we probably often put our keys down in a certain place or our wallet or our purse, whatever it may be, in a certain place. And so when things are lost, one of the most obvious things is that it's out of place. And so when a sheep was, is with its flock, amen, they, that's where they belong. And when coins are on the, the headband, that's, that's where it belonged. It's in its place. And when lost souls are in fellowship with God, that's where they belong. That's where they were supposed to be created in the image and the likeness of God. But to be lost means also to be out of service. A lost sheep is no value to a shepherd. A lost coin is of no value to its owner. And a lost person cannot experience the fulfillment of the infilling of the Spirit of God. They are out of service. There's, there's a big and a large disconnect. But if we turn this around, 
And we look at this from a different angle. To be found or to be saved means that we are back in the place, reconciled to God where we were supposed to be all along. Amen. He didn't come to condemn. He came to reconcile. And we've been reconciled to God. To be found means that we are back in service or our life has found again its purpose. It means that we're out of danger. No wonder the shepherd and the woman rejoiced. And no wonder they invited all of their friends to rejoice with them. It's easy to read these two parables and and, uh, and take their message for granted. We can read those and just say, well, yeah, that's a cute story. But to the people that first heard, heard them and the first, that first lost them, amen, they must have been shocked. Amen, to the people that first heard these parables, to the people that were sitting there when they were scribes and Pharisees were condemning Jesus for eating with sinners and for fellowshipping with sinners. So when Jesus starts talking about these parables, they must have been somewhat dumbfounded because it was Jesus that was saying that he would search for sinners or that he would search for those things that were lost. And so no wonder they were offended. There was no place in their legalistic theology for God to be like that. Not a God that you could touch, a God that you could stand in his presence. They had actually forgotten some of the laws and some of the scripture that they had prided themselves in. Perhaps they had forgotten when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and when they realized their sin and condemnation are the word shame we read for the very first time in the Bible. When they were ashamed, they forgot that God came to visit them in the garden just like he had done Every other day, God came to visit them, even in their folly, even in their lostness. He meant in spite of their supposed knowledge of Scripture, the scribes and the Pharisees that forgot that God, according to Psalms 103, was like a father that pitied their wayward children. And so they were aghast that God, would, that, that, that Jesus would stand here and say, you know, I'm going to search out. I'm going to seek out. They had no way to put this into context. And now the third parable Amen. We call this the story of the, or the parable of the prodigal son. But really, we could just as easily call this the parable of a loving father. <laughs> In truth, this parable emphasizes far more about the graciousness of the father than it does emphasize the sinfulness of the son. That's absolutely the truth. There is mention of the son. There is mention of his sin, there is mention of his error, but there's a whole lot more talking about the love of a father and the lengths that he went to. Amen. Unlike the shepherd and unlike the woman in the previous parables, the father didn't go out to seek the son. <clears throat> But it was in the memory of his, in his mind, the goodness of his father. It was in his mind, the love of his father. That's what brought him to forgiveness. And that's what ultimately brought him to repentance. That's what ultimately brought him to a place to be restored. I'm thankful for the hand of God that goes searching for us when we can't search for ourselves. I realize this is a very familiar story. I realize this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, but please allow me to note a few things that this man, young man experienced along the way. The Bible says that he went to a far country. I think it's important to note that it was perfectly legal for the younger son to ask for his share of his inheritance. And so he did not step out of a legal, out of a legal a boundary or overstep a legal boundary to make this request. Now, it wasn't in his best interest to do so. 
And it was certainly could have been interpreted and maybe was somewhat an insult to his father. But he was within his legal rights to ask for what was rightfully his. Thomas Huxley said, A man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do just like he likes. That's when our trouble begins. When we can make our own decisions. And there's nobody there to say no. There's nobody there to to warn us. There's no sounding board. There's no guardrails. How true that is. We're always headed for trouble when we value things more than people. Or when we value pleasure more than duty. Or when we value distant scenes more than the blessings that we have right here at home. You know, there's some people that cannot enjoy the now because they keep looking somewhere else. They keep looking over the next hill or just around the next adventure. There's where my peace and happiness is going to be when it may already be right where you're standing. Everything we need. The prodigal learned a hard lesson. And that lesson is this. You cannot enjoy the things that money can buy if you ignore the things that money can't buy we got to first embrace and have a love for the things that money can't buy. Because money can buy a house, but it can't buy a home. Amen. And so the sheet was lost through foolishness and the coin was lost through carelessness. But the son was lost through willfulness. And in life, in the far country, was nothing that he expected. I'm going to have freedom. I'm going to have liberty. I'm going to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. But soon as horses ran out, soon as friends left him, the famine came and all of his plans failed. Everything that he thought was going to happen simply just came to nothing. The young man thought to himself, you know, the servants in my father's house have it better than I have. The servants in my father's house. The young man thought he was going to find himself, but in truth, he really lost himself. Amen. And so when God is left out of our lives, all the things that we thought we were going to enjoy can actually enslave. Amen. But the Bible says that he repented. He came to himself to change his mind, to do exactly what this young man did. He said, I've got to turn around. I can't just think about this. I've got to act on this. Amen. That's what God's goodness is. Amen. God's goodness is not measured according to man's badness. (laughs) I'm thankful for the goodness of God that is poured out, undeserving. Amen. Yes, we are. But I'm thankful that the Spirit of God will hear a repentant prayer, repentant heart. His painful circumstances help him to see his father in a different way. I'm not sure what led to the ultimate decision to say, I want everything I got, I'm out of here. I'm not sure what led to that, but we know one thing. The circumstances he was currently in helped him to see his father in a completely different way. And when he saw that, he found hope. I'm thankful for hope. The Bible says then he came to his father. And so here Jesus answered the accusations of the scribes and the Pharisees. Not only did the father welcome him, amen, but he ran to welcome. He ran to welcome him. He didn't just say, well, you know, just make your way back home, but he ran to welcome him. He honored his homecoming by preparing a great feast and by inviting all the neighborhood to come and rejoice and celebrate with him. I think it's interesting that the Bible talks about the father running to meet his son because that was against their Eastern culture. Old men didn't run, didn't run. They would stay at home while those that wanted to see them came to them. That was their culture. 
And so that's one interesting aspect of it. But, but I, found something, I found something even more interesting than that in the study of this. Amen. I believe the obvious, he loved him. And so he ran. Obviously, he wanted him back in his home. So he ran to him. But there is something more to this. And that is found in Deuteronomy 21. When we read Deuteronomy 21, I won't read it tonight, but you can write this down. Deuteronomy 21, verses 18, 19, 20, maybe around there, 21. When the, the Bible talks about in Deuteronomy that, that if you had a wayward son or a wayward child, that you could bring that son. If you couldn't do anything with that child, that you could bring that child to the elders of the city. I don't any of you get any ideas now. You could, <laughs> you could bring your wayward child to the elders of the city and you could say, I can't do anything with him. And the elders of the city would just stone them. That sounds brutal, doesn't it? I mean, it certainly is brutal, but I'm, it's, in your, it's in your Bible. Deuteronomy 21. But the Bible says that the father ran to meet him. I, I thought about this. I just wonder if he ran to meet him not just because he loved him, not just because he wanted him back home. Not just because he wanted to restore to him what he could restore. Not what he spent, but what he could give to him. But I believe this father understood the principle of Deuteronomy, the law of Deuteronomy. And said, if there is any out here that knows my son has left and they see him coming home... I don't want anybody to pick up any rocks and I'm going to run and I'm going to hug him. I'm going to hold him. And if they throw a rock, it's going to hit me. I'm going to be there to protect him. Amen. What a picture of what Jesus Christ did for you and I. Amen. He who knew no sin became sin. We couldn't go to the cross, but he went to the cross. I'm thankful for the love of God. Amen. You know, one thing more. You know, everything that this young man thought he was going to discover out there was really back at home. It looked completely different. It felt completely different. He found peace and solitude. There's so many layers to this chapter, and, and I'm sure there are many things that we could talk about, but I just simply want to underline the value of lost things. The value of, of lost things. While they are lost, they may not seem as though they're worth much to some. But there's someone somewhere that understands their true worth. Lost things in the hands of an unsuspecting person has no idea the origin, the genesis. They have no idea of the story. But somebody does. Somebody does. I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will. All of this consideration brings us to one last question. And that is this. Is there a cure for lostness? Obviously there is or Jesus would not have told these parables. <clears throat> there could be no rejoicing shepherd. There could be no rejoicing woman. There could be no rejoicing father. If that which is lost has no hope of being found. I read a cute story about a grandfather walking along with his grandson and they had walked quite a ways from their house and uh, he was the grandfather and the grandson were holding hands and so the grandfather asked him, said, do you, do you know how far we are from home? 
No. He said, well, do you even know where we are? He said, no. He said, well, young man, sounds like to me you're lost. He goes, nope. He said, I'll never be lost as long as I'm holding your hand. Amen. There's hope for things that are lost. And so when we feel lost and everything feels awkward and everything feels disjointed and out of place, we can say, nope. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) I'm not lost. I still have my hand in the right hand. Have you ever been on a flight where the airline lost your luggage? I have. It's a helpless feeling. Early one morning, I was leaving to catch a flight for Jacksonville. I was going to be preaching that night. I was flying into Louisiana preaching in Texas. And I just put on some slacks and a dress shirt and a tie. And I got in my truck and was fixing to leave, pull out of the driveway. And I thought, you know, I just maybe I ought to get a sport coat. And I walked back in. It was just that whimsical, or it seemed at the moment. And I grabbed a sport coat. And I put on the coat. On the way to the airport, I had a flat tire. I'm trying to change the tire. Thankfully, I'd left plenty of time that I was still able to board the flight. And when I, I got to Louisiana, I was being picked up by someone I had never met. Always a wonderful feeling. <laughs> and uh, so I went to baggage claim, and there was no baggage. The only thing I had to my name was what I was wearing. And I'm preaching in just a few hours. And so it was a very vulnerable feeling. And, and I can tell you that in that line, I was the only one concerned. <laughs> it did not matter. I was just another number, just another person. And we'll just see what we can do. So that kind pastor took me to their home. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> they were finding an extra toothbrush and they... Got me an old big razor to help me get cleaned up, and and uh, and I was just so discombobulated. And we went to Texas and preached the message service, and got back into Louisiana, my room. And about one o'clock in the morning, my luggage made it. It was destroyed. Just look, it had been run through a shredder, and um, it's a helpless feeling. In most cases, lost luggage is returned eventually. But every year, thousands of items are lost or left behind on airlines, just if we think about just in America. So in America, if things are lost and unclaimed on an airline, most of those items end up in a small town called Scottsboro, Alabama at a store called the Unclaimed Baggage Center. Now, this store takes up an entire city block. This is big business. This is big business. They have made arrangements with nearly every airline, certainly every major airline, to buy luggage that cannot be returned to its rightful owner. So any unclaimed piece of luggage that's left behind on major airlines, eventually winds up at the unclaimed baggage center. It's here that it's sold to the general public. Laptops, tablets, cell phones, jewelry, all manner of clothing, 
it all winds up here. Those people in Alabama, you can't trust those people in Alabama. You can't even trust people that know people from Alabama. Most of the items that are left behind are pretty common. Clothing, jewelry, things of that nature. But some absent-minded passengers have left behind some expensive and unusual things. The, the strangest item ever found in lost luggage at the unclaimed baggage center, would you believe, was a guidance system for an F-16 jet fighter that was valued at a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> I'm thinking somebody lost their rank about that. It's the most interesting store, according to many tourists, it's worth a stop if you're ever passing through northeast Alabama. So it's sad when anything that's lost is not reclaimed. It meant something to somebody. And now it's just a part of an inventory. Especially if you can contrast the item on the shelf of the unclaimed baggage center to the very moment somebody purchased that. Finally, I have this new phone. Finally, I have this new jacket. Maybe it was a gift of some great value somewhere along the way. Or maybe it was the end result of somebody that really saved and saved their money for a long time to be able to purchase that. And now it's just become an inventory number in some strange store in northeast Alabama. Tourists are pilfering through these items, looking for the sale of the century, having no way to know the real story. That a grandparent bought that or a father or it was a, a gift. No way of, of knowing what that item in your hand is really worth. I'm not talking about the retail value of that. But what it was really worth. I'm talking about lost things. The device was the end result of someone's hard-earned cash. But even more, even more so than jackets and jewelry and, and even more so than laptops or, or tablets or phones. When you see people walking down the sidewalk, can I tell you, that's somebody's child. You may be looking at a 70-year-old man or woman. You may be looking at a 50-year-old male or female that's wasted their lives here or there on this or that. And you may only see the reduced value, the reduced price tag of what life says they're worth. Maybe they're under a bridge or in a homeless shelter or maybe they're here or there and we're just kind of reviewing that tag and we see what they're worth today. But when we contrast that against the day of their birth or we contrast that against the moment that they were first placed in their grandparents' arms, it's a whole and altogether different story when you see people that are lost and undone, when you see people who struggle in the bondage of sin, we need to remember a thing called lost things. It's more than a, than a sheep. It's more than a coin. It's more than just a son who went to a far country. That could be us. Amen. And but for grace, it would be. Maybe the world has marked them down in value, but somebody to someone they hold great value. Now, we may never know the list of those somebodies, but we know the person who, they val who values them the beyond anything or anyone else, and that's the Lord. He gave his life for them. And so who am I to judge them? Who am I to look at them today in this wasted state? 
in this sense of brokenness, in this sense of shame. This is not where they dreamed to be when they were 12. This is not what they wrote down when somebody at 18 asked them, what are your dreams and ambitions for life? It was not to be where they are. But this is nevertheless where they are. There are millions of people tonight that are on the shelf and of unclaimed baggage. Unclaimed. The world has rejected them. Life has rejected them. And I understand that it's very easy tonight for me to portray in your mind the picture of a drug addict or an alcoholic or a homeless person. But can I tell you that there are many people with business suits on that are just that empty. There are many, many, many people today that could buy and sell us all day long and never miss one penny from their bank account. But life, life has just bartered them down to nothing. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. I remember many years ago at a Because of the Times conference that there was a, Brother Mangan brought a man up, and, and I don't remember the details of all of this, but he brought a man up who had been one off the street, and oh, what a horrid story. A lady whose life had also just been wrecked and ruined by the ravages of sin. But then on the heels of that, he brought up another lady, well-dressed, well-spoken, who said, I am guilty of everything she's guilty of. I just did this in a higher social circle. It was socially acceptable where I was doing this, but I was no more than she, no less than she. Amen. I'm talking about lost things tonight. We work with them. We interact with them. We are related to them. We are friends of them. God, help us. If we know where hope is and we don't point the way, if we know where the coin is, why would we stop searching? If we know there is hope for the sheep to be found, why would we abort the mission? Oh, oh Lord, help us to fall in love with the idea and a passion for lost things. Amen. I wonder where you stand tonight. If you can make an altar and if we could ask God to help us to not be so distracted by the things that are in this world and the things that are going on in our lives that we lose sight of the real focus. The focus is lost things. The focus of Luke 15 verses 1 verses 2 was to remind us of the value that I have come to search. I'm going to search. I'm going to search. Amen. I'm thankful for the power and the hope of the cross. I'm thankful for the spirit of hope tonight. Amen. I'm thankful for what I know in my heart, but Lord, help me not to hide the truth that I have in my soul from anybody that really needs a touch from the Lord tonight. Lost things. Amen. Tomorrow, when you see somebody that doesn't know God, you just need to remember lost things. Lost things. It may not be a sheep. It may not be a coin. It may be your neighbor. It may be your coworker. It may be a family member, a friend. But oh God, help us to realize that we have the answer. We have a light and we can search until we find it. We have someone we can entrust the 90 and 9 with until we go back and look. Oh God, help us to have some skin in this game called life. Oh, help us tonight in Jesus' name. Let's magnify. Thank you.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.